Welcome to Bike Talk with Dave. I'm your host, Dave Mabel, and I'm glad you're able to join me in these conversations with incredible people doing incredible things on bikes. Today I talked with three-time U.S. Cyclocross National Champion Stephen Hyde, who officially hung up his bike from professional racing shortly after the 2021 National Cyclocross Championships. In a genius move, USA Cycling hired him as a coach to help the U.S. squad compete their best at the UCI Cyclocross World Championships in Fayetteville in January. While I was at the World Championships to shoot for Cyclocross Magazine and do some fun projects for BikeIowa.com, I was able to watch Steven interact with the U.S. athletes before, during, and after their races. I wanted to talk to him about his experience as a coach, but also a bit about the state of the sport in the U.S. and what it will take to compete with the Europeans. I caught up with Steven via Zoom a week after Worlds. We had a great, candid, and fun discussion. I hope you enjoy it too. So, without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Stephen Hyde. Like, yeah, I mean, it's like that. It's like everybody that is there to do a job is doing the job the best they can, and and then everybody else is drunk. So, <laughs> but, <laughs> what are you going to do? Sums up. <laughs> I think you just summed up cyclocross in one <laughs> sentence. <clears throat> <laughs> yeah, you're you're right about that. I love like hanging out. At, it feels like Jingle, the parking lot of Jingle after Sunday's race is like the most chill of anywhere. Mm-hmm. Like people are hanging out, throwing beers around, just chilling and and having fun and kind of letting their hair down and all the pressures off and mm-hmm. and life can move on. But uh, you don't find that environment very often in the melee of the cyclocross circuit circus yeah well i think you have the uh advantage of the uh midwest tailgating culture (laughs) just like built in (laughs) Uh, for sure for sure can't argue that yeah you don't get it at trek though i mean trek is is kind of similar but people are up and out of there pretty quick yeah feels like sunday evening at jingle is is just super chill well, it feels like a biz- It feels like a big business there. You know, it's a really great race. I think it's really cool. But I think because of, like the corporate headquarters and stuff, like anybody corporate can just go like disappear in the building, and then right. everybody else is just kind of like you're in a parking lot. That's you know, it's cool, but just kind of want to get out of there. It's not yeah. yeah. Parking is kind of weird, and all you know, all that stuff. Whereas like Jingle, you're just like you're parked on site. You're not going anywhere. It's a fairgrounds. There's tons of room to move around. You know, I don't know. Just yeah. different vibe. Yeah, you're right. It is a different vibe. Both cool, though. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, so uh, you're all retired and everything, and uh, <laughs> I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> Other than in, than in uh, the context of, uh, of where do we go from here. Um, but first I want to ask you, like, I mean, you made your big announcement after Nationals, and, uh, and then you show up at Worlds with a uh, USA Cycling coach's coat on and uh and that was a different role for you um how was the weekend at world for you yeah i it was incredible for me i mean uh you know i'll say this that like i I think my whole career has been pushed by um 
either the amount of mentorship that I've received or the amount of mentorship I've been able to kind of bestow. And I, I really think that it's, it's those two things that have really made my career like in, in full, you know, it's, you know, there, sure. There's a lot of work that goes into it. There's the writing part and all of that stuff, but none of that comes completely natural. And none of that stuff is innate and it, you know, it's, it's formed by relationships. And so I think that's really been a huge guide for me and just about everything that I do. Um, and so it was a really natural and easy progression for me. And in fact, this has just been in the pipeline for a really long time. I mean, I've kind of always said that I'd like my next step to be one um, that kind of reflects my journey and that, that kind of takes those mentorship considerations in. And um, I'm able to push that back into um, our field. And I think that um, it's kind of ripe time that somebody steps into that role um and i don't know how you know i don't know how long uh or what is going to come out of that that coaching role um if as far as right now that was kind of a one-time you know deal i might be able to step into it in the future for sure but as of right now there is no cyclocross coach position i mean jesse anthony's the cyclocross manager and the off-road manager and he does a tremendous job with that program um and uh Grant Hollicky has been awesome in volunteering his time to work with all the athletes and stuff too. So um, I'd like to see a role develop within the program and, and hopefully that kind of, hopefully I'll be able to step into that if it's developed. Um, otherwise, you know, I've kind of started my, my um, private coaching um, and actually I'll, can't say anything about it yet, but I've uh, joined with a coaching group and we'll be announcing that really soon i'm really excited about that direction but to answer your question <laughs> more directly um i i couldn't have asked for a better experience as far as that that last weekend uh, the weekend of worlds i mean let's be honest like there's not a lot that i can do uh with the athletes and the program stepping in for you know five days right um you can't change a lot about you can't change anything about an athlete in that time you can't really um all their preparation is done their heart set on, on a lot of different things and the only thing i really was there for is to help facilitate um any resources that we had um and be available to the athletes whether that's um, emotional support or um, technical guidance race tactics anything like that um and to be honest I, I fell into that role really really easily it felt really natural to me i mean You've seen me. I'm like the last guy at the race every, <laughs> every yeah, weekend, yeah, yeah. you know? And, and part of that is, is, is mentorship. Part of that is because I want to know what other, I want to know what my colleagues are going through. And I want to know what juniors and under 23s are, are doing and, and amateurs alike. I want to hear about that. And I want to be able to kind of give anything that I can in those situations. And in the past, it's always been like, okay, let's wrap it up, get off the legs, go back to the hotel. Let's just, you know, and, and I've always kind of fought that. So when when Jesse kind of asked me to, to jump into this role, you know, part of the kind of, uh, uh, part of my concern was that I was just going to get bogged down in, in doing paperwork and logistics and all of this. And, oh, really? Um, you know, well, you know, it's a big role. It's a big job. Yeah, There's yeah. a lot. We have 38 athletes, you know. And it's very easy to just kind of like get lost in the melee of 
stuff to do. And to their absolute credit, I mean, the crew they had there was just, just dialed. I mean, from day one was dialed. You know, everything was already done. Um, and anything that was kind of minuscule or day to day, I think Jesse put that on me to say like, Hey, take care of these athletes. I'll get the schedules out, you know? And, um, that was really, really huge. And so he took, took kind of a chance on allowing me kind of free reign just to be available. But I think it actually really paid off in a really, really, really substantial way. I can't argue from an observer's point of view, and and granted, I'm running around like a chicken with my head cut off. <laughs> um, but I did, I did always notice you, especially at the finish line. Start line's hard because you the the athletes would line up, and we had this barrier we couldn't cross and and be near you. But at the finish line, it really looked like you embraced your role, and I would say most of the athletes embraced you as a coach, a mentor, a, um, uh, uh, a consult <laughs> in some cases. Um, and I, I thought that looks like a really cool relationship right there. I, I could just see the connection in many instances between you and, and each athlete. Sure. And, uh, and it seems especially like the, the younger ones, the juniors, uh, the U23s, but even Curtis was like, uh, I could see the connection you and Curtis had. And, and I could see that, uh, that that was a valuable role. And I hate to go on and on, but I juxtapose, uh, I, I, juxtapose isn't the right word because you were, you were playing this role, but I, I look at, um, in Europe, like some of the great, great athletes are now in that role as coach and mentor. And you can see them running around the course, uh, talking to the riders before the race, talking tactics, talking, and you are doing all that. And mm -hmm. I don't always see that in the mm -hmm. U.S. Mm -hmm. and, and I was like, wow, that, uh, this could be going somewhere. Yeah, you know, I, I think that in this position, I took a lot of time to think about, like, what are the big things that affected me in my career? You know, what were the outside forces? What what people or what did uh, individuals do in times of my need um, that facilitated um, good outcomes? And then on <laughs> the transverse of that, where what are the things that people didn't do? You know, when, when did people not show up for me? Um, because you have a mix of that, right? It's not, sure. I think a lot of people are really, uh, I think some people are very lucky in their, their lives and their careers to have people that kind of show up for them all the time. And that can be a hindrance at times, right? Mm -hmm. And often it's your family um, or somebody in, you know, I think sometimes when people are always showing up, it can come off a little overbearing. And, um, and then sometimes, you really need somebody to show up and, and just be there. And I think that I, I took a lot of things into consideration going into this. And, uh, you know, I'm a generally pretty philosophical person and I really like to, to think hard um, and deep on situations. And I'm not going to say that I, I like, I know exactly what I'm doing or that, uh, you know, the, the role was completely filled out exactly how it should have and everything was perfect. But, you know, I threw myself in and 
just kind of living off of those um, experiences and emotion and just trying to like use a bit of empathy um, to connect with athletes. You know, like you were talking about the start line, finish line. Like I, I made a choice that I was on the course. <laughs> I was in my kit every day, all day long. And, and I, I was over with the first group of riders and it started at breakfast. You know, I let everybody kind of do their thing. And if I saw somebody alone, I connected them either with myself or with somebody else. And then um, the crew with, with USA Cycling and the Scratch Labs coming in, like it was just a, it was just a wonderful atmosphere at the hotel and in that, in that way. People were connecting in, in ways that I, I hadn't really seen in the past. And so once it was my turn to come and take over and take the course, that ride over, it's a short ride over 10 minutes, but you're trying to feel out everybody's mood, you know, whether it's like on the way to the course for a pre-ride, everybody's chatting and they're excited. And then on the way over to the race, everyone's silent. And, you know, it's this more like impending thing. And so every day it was like, okay, what can I do here? You know, and every day I felt the kind of read the room a bit and then we stopped before we went into the gate. You know, and I had everybody just like take a second and just reflect and 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 kind of understand why they're there before they even went in, and so that when they do go in, that's not a doubt in their mind, and they showed up. And another thing was that I, I wanted to be the last person they saw before they got onto the start grid. Hmm. You know, there's this one years which done just did a tremendous job. Um, they took a lot of really good feedback and. You know, we implemented like little things. Like I said, hey, bring a brush and a screwdriver to the start line and check everyone's cleats because we're in like a crushed limestone parking lot. I haven't seen a single person look at their shoes. So it was weird for some of the athletes, you know, for me to be like, hey, can we just see your shoe for a second? They were like, what? You know, um, I think others got it really quickly. And it was really nice to just stand there and just watch because I have been in that corral so many times. And I've always prided myself on being able to kind of read people in different situations. And I think the start route is one very kind of, it's kind of a surreal place to be and people changed instantly. Um, I've talked a lot about uh, how you kind of need, and especially with the athletes, how you need to be two different people in this career. You can be anybody you want to be off the bike. You can be stoic and cold. You can be outgoing. You can do anything you want to do. Once you get into that, the, the pin, the bullpen, you have to be a killer. You have to be an athlete. And it's a really interesting transition, that spot, because you go from this corral into the start grid. And it's like you go from the crowd and everything you've been doing. And then, like, once you get into the crowd, it's, there's still a little bit of chaos going on. They're calling up. They're taking everything in. And then you get into the start grid, and then it's just it's kind of quiet in that way. You can you, you choose where your kind of energy goes and what things you're absorbing. And so I really wanted to be there to absorb what the athletes were doing and, and seemingly feeling and just kind of try to get a read on that. And each athlete got something different. You know, I either said something or I didn't say something. You know, sometimes I walked up to an athlete, and I was just like, good, cool, all right, go. And sometimes it was a little bit of like, hey, take some deep breaths here. You're good. Huh. You've done yeah. it, you know? Um, and, you know, it was kind of a, it was kind of a surreal experience. And 
most of the races until I got to the elite men's race. Yeah. For me personally, where I walked in and I saw my kind of my peers. Um, and I got pretty emotional over it. I can only imagine. It's a weird scenario. You know, I really wanted like more than anything. I wanted my career to end on that note. And, um, and it was like a little bit sad for a second for like a split second. It was a little bit sad. And then it's kind of flipped, um, this big switch flip for me. And it was weird that it kind of ended up on the, the last race, but that, that switch of, uh, kind of elation that I even got to be there and that I was, I, I felt like I was doing so much more than laps, you know, like I could have raced. Yep. Would I have had a result I was proud of? Probably not. I'm just not, I'm not there anymore. Um, would I have felt like I, I left some stuff on the table, you know, would have like kind of cast even maybe a little bit of doubt on my career for myself? Potentially, you know, there could have been some great things that came of it and there could have been some hardships that came of it. There were no hardships that came from this. There were only great things. I, I just, I walked away from that experience with just, uh, a lot of pride and feeling like I was absolutely doing the right thing. There was no doubt about it. Yeah. That's a pretty big statement. That's pretty cool. It, it meant a lot, you know, yeah. and, and like to kind of what you were saying about the surprise of some of the athletes being receptive. I mean, look, I've, I've been in this, I've been in their situation so many times and we've tried over the years to kind of implement this role and we've had some great people come in and um, I, I haven't seen a whole lot of, you know, uh, of engagement from the athletes in the past. And I'm including myself on this. There's a level of trust that you have to have. And I, I think that with my kind of career in still in like uh fresh memory you know like i was just racing still right right <laughs> you know there's this world where i still would have lined up you know for sure this other parallel and universe. been in the game a bit i mean it's not like you would actually you know drop <laughs> yeah. in the first corner like you would have been racing so i mean it's like super fresh like the wound is there and you yeah. just had the stitches put in and the doctor's like don't remove this band-aid for a month right <laughs> Yeah, and it's so like I, you just ripped yeah. it off. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And so you know, I think there's been like we started off this kind of process before you know when we announced the coaching position, and I reached out to every athlete and I said, "Hey, look, I'm, I'm here, I'm available, whatever, and let's let's take some time." You know, I connected with every one of the athletes one on one. We're in small groups over the, the period, so you know, from Wednesday when everybody got there to to the end of Sunday. And then talk to them individually as groups. And I think over that time, what I kind of anticipated was a lot of the younger riders um, or less experienced riders wanting to kind of like reach out. I was blown away by the amount of experienced riders that were then reaching out. And I think at first it was like, does anybody want me to pre-ride with you? No, I'm good. Okay, cool. You know, me being out there and then little questions came up and, and Grant being out there and, and speaking with the athletes on the side of the course. Um, you know, we were kind of triangulate where we needed to be, somebody in the pit, somebody on the hill, somebody, you know, wherever, and then kind of getting feedback. I think the athletes started to realize that we were thinking really hard about it. 
and we are taking a lot of our experience at that at that actual level you know and recently and putting it into good use here and um yeah writers like curtis you know we've had kind of a an interesting history where like uh he's you know we've been on a, the same team for a really long time and i've tried hard i think to kind of like foster a relationship and, and keep it um keep information coming to him and but he's always been a fighter you know sometimes he's great with that and you know reaches out and does his thing and sometimes he's the athlete and wants to focus on himself and and you know kind of like we've had to just kind of accept our relationship in that and still you know a friend and, and whatnot and but as competitors it goes back and forth he's always wanted to dethrone me and that's i've that he should. Right, <laughs> should, sure. you know, I've made that clear. I'm like, yes, right. absolutely, you should be beating me. When we go to the starting <laughs> grid, like, all bets are off. We're... Yeah. I want nothing more somebody talking, me. like, we're, we're teammates until we're gone, and then we are competitors. And it's, yeah. you know, throw down to the finish line. And I'm like, yeah. okay, that's fair. So you guys are teammates until the starting yeah. line, and then right. competitors. Exactly. And so I, I think that, like, and that's been the same with, you know, all the elite men for me, um, you know, Gage and Eric and um, everybody, Carrie and all these guys. I've always been open and had great relationships with some of these guys. But I think the, the biggest thing was maybe in, in their minds and uh, maybe I shouldn't speak to, to them, but uh, or what they're thinking. But I think it took a minute for them to understand that I'm no longer their competitor. And that I sure. only have the best intentions for them. Um, I only want to support them. And that's my role now. Um, so I think in that way, it was a huge success. Where they, that, that's the goal, right? It's like for me to show up and to just lay it out there and convince everyone that I am on their side. And for them to trust me. And for me to trust them. And for us to walk away going, that was a wonderful experience you only add a value um so in that way i think it was wonderful yeah i I, my observation again but uh it seemed like that happened yeah uh which was super cool and kind of what made me think about reaching out to you because uh again as you look at the european programs and and the ex pros that um ex really good pros who who wore rainbows on their chest um, yeah. we're, we're now right. involved in um you know coaching and mentoring and teaching roles um in their on their trade teams and national teams and i look at all of the folks in the past you know i've i've been playing around in this world for uh, 10 years or so um all of the kind of great us riders that have kind of come and gone and who are not involved in that kind of role uh, most immediately and and really too bad katie compton like you know i did the the ride in her porsche with her talking about her retirement wondering okay is there a role for mentoring and coaching for you as one of the all-time greats and you know unfortunately that's not probably going to work out yeah um and uh you know, Paige and Powers and mm-hmm. and Timmy and mm-hmm. you know all of the greats. Uh, 
Katie, Ellen, you know, people mm -hmm. who have been super competitive on the world stage and are not involved in coaching. So when you announced that, hey, I'm not racing, but I'm going to be in the starting grid with the athletes, I was like, I, I mean, sweet. This is what we need, in my opinion. Uh, what do you see going forward for USA Cycling? I mean, we, we certainly, especially in the women, like look at Trek a couple of years where freaking Ellen Noble is duking it out with uh, Voss. Like yeah. those, those are heydays, right? Yeah. And yeah, I mean. Now we're fighting for 15th or whatever. And it's like, wh wh sure. where are those who could take what they knew and, and their experiences and yeah. the current generation and future generations move forward? Yeah, that's a that's a really kind of deep subject. And I think that Yeah, we've got three minutes, about... so wrap it up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna start kidding. playing the music. Right. <laughs> I think that it's a really hard comparison right off the bat with um how um the economics of European racing versus American racing um play out. That's fair. Yep. It's a it's a really lopsided scenario where it's a struggle to be even at the top of domestic u.s racing culture and make a living and once you're done very few have left under their own terms very few have left um the sport with uh energy left to kind of put in you know a lot of them leave and have to fight like hell to become a person again and figure out who they are and that's a really hard position to be in and i i'm i'm not in uh i'm not in a dissimilar position but um it's a hard transition you 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 do this job for 10 plus years when you're all the athletes you just you just you know described i'm talking 10 plus years um or more of of kind of service in that way, right? Of right, like, right. Of, of being employed as a bike racer. And, and there's only so many things you can really do to kind of advance yourself beyond that while maintaining what one has to maintain to actually stay at that level. I think it's, it's really easy to kind of talk about the transition from a world champion to taking some time off, developing a business, and then jumping back in as a, a, a trainer or a team owner or something like that, especially in Europe where there's, there's money to be made. Right. What are you supposed to do in the U.S.? We're talking about a climate where a lot of the racing teams have gone away, where you're constantly talking about where's the support for under 23s. Um, a lot of the elites now, I mean, look at the field where we're at right now. There's, there's a lot of elites that have, have kind of left. and. Um, we're kind of left standing with a bit of a shattered field and not to mention, um, you know, what and where can USA cycling go in all of this? We're talking about a sport that's not funded by, um, the Olympic, uh, programs. Um, it's probably the least funded of all the, the programs. Um, it's still, it's still not a priority when it comes to um, development. There is not a, a development manager specifically. You know, I, again, 
I've full praises to what they've been able to do with this program. I've seen nothing but positive changes. Um, but in in terms of like where they can go, we're severely limited by funding, and that's it. I mean, the mud fund can only do so much, right? We we money fixes a lot of things for sure. Yep. <laughs> yeah, and and that's really hard, and it's it's kind of unfair to ask somebody whom gave a lot of their life to a sport that kind of just fought to make ends meet or to put anything away or to, you know, pursue any of the rest of the American dream in that way to kind of jump in and, and more or less volunteer their time. And that's what you're asking. You know, that's like the general ask is that like, Hey, can you come in and, volunteer as a coach can you do this stuff and right, how right. sustainable is oh, that and, right? and pay your mortgage and feed your family and yeah right all that I kind mean, of stuff that is kind of important <laughs> right yeah you know it's it's hard and and a lot of people are like you know myself included in this it's like okay i gave up a lot of my kind of family and um financial making years to do it and i'm i feel very fortunate that i was able to kind of get make a living off of the job yep um but i'm not like sitting on a huge mess egg here and i'm not you know right it's not uh, so i do a lot of athletes just have to go right into the workforce and it's a huge transition um and psychologically it's a huge transition you know like how do you you've been told for a really long time that you need to make something of this and you need to kind of enjoy it and it has to mean something and then you're like okay i work in a bike shop does this mean something to me? Is this like, this is right. the, the, the opposite of that. So there's a lot of factors going into it. And I know that doesn't answer the question of like where we can go with it. My hope and my dream is that while I think that the world championships that we just had in Arkansas, I think from an operational standpoint, it was a big success. Uh, I saw a shift in culture from years past that is more something that I want to be a part of than anything in years past. And I think that was reflected from a lot of athletes of like, hey, do you have any feedback? Can you give us anything on like what we could have done better? Nothing, not a single thing. Nobody has had anything yet. And in years past where athletes might've just like been in small little groups or stayed in their hotel room, they're hanging around and talking more and, and hanging out with each other in, in the dining hall, you know, which we had kind of cordoned off for us. There was more cross, um, um, there was more kind of like more interaction between like juniors and under 23s and elites than I've ever seen before. And, and staff maybe, and, and people. maybe the walls between trade teams came down a little bit. I think so, and and that hasn't been the case in the past. I mean, everybody has kind of like kept their guard up, and for for a lot of reasons, you know. And I hope that I had something to do with that. I think that I had a small part to do with it. I think the rest of the staff that we had, I think the mechanics have done a really good job of just a doing their job and b facilitating the mood and interactions with the athletes. I think our swaniers and all the operations staff just did a an exceptional job of communication and doing their job when they need to do it, delegating and 
all while keeping a really good positive attitude, um, which I think went a really, really long way. And and everybody empowered the athletes to have a say in everything. And I think that was a really, really important piece that we've been missing. Um, so while all of that went really well, like you said, results-wise, like the one thing that I hope is that these athletes look at this and say, like, that was the best I could do on that day. You know, and, and like I said before, I can't come in and do anything. Nobody can come in and do anything in five days. Nobody's going to change an athlete's right. development in five days. I, I think if we look at the results and we say, like, yeah, we had some good rides. I think if we looked deeper and said, we didn't win anything. And while I, I know that in our general culture in cyclocross and, and bike racing in the U.S., we kind of waffle this line of exceptionalism in results, but also exceptionalism in terms of like personality. And we're kind of always towing that line of like, uh, man, I really want like all of our athletes to come out and have a beer. And then we're like, but how come none of our athletes are winning races? <laughs> How come Belgium's so good? How come this is so good? You know, and so it's a fine line. And it, it's a really like, well, actually not, it's not that much of a fine line. But I think if we can look at the results and say like, from this past weekend and say, hey, we want to do better than that. We want a shot. Um, I, we can do it. We have the depth of athletes. This is a huge country with a lot of people in it and a whole lot of resources. We tend as a public to spend more time picking it apart than building it up. And I think that is a culture that has to change in a really big way. Um, we have to find funding for things and we have to prioritize what we want um, and have a game plan to make the best of all of it. We can get medals. We have absolutely every capability of getting a medal at a world championship. And that doesn't mean that we're going to ruin athletes, push them to drugs, or make them un, uh, unattainable as people. You know, I think mm -hmm. we, we pride ourselves on the uh, availability of the athletes. We can have both. We just have to have a plan to do that. And we have to create a system that athletes trust, and we have to create a system that is sustainable. So... I hope that that is something that we can work on moving forward. Um, and I'm certainly willing to, to do my part in that. I think you hit the nail on the head when you said it. Yeah. But it's as easy as money. You know, money fixes yeah. just about anything, you know. With money, we could build a yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's, incredible program. We could. And, and the program is only going to go so far as the ability to race right it has to be a multi-tiered approach we can't just work off of a platform of excellence through the either a trade team or a national team it has to be a development on both ends right and and i think that one thing that we've done really good job of in the u.s is to really focus on the grassroots development of of races and the riders and uh, school programs like NICA, um, NESCA, and stuff like that, that 
we're seeing massive fields of athletes coming in, you know, of, of student athletes that are coming in and collegiate programs are running well. And so then what, where do they go? You know, there's only a couple of programs. Um, and I think as you've seen in, in your time, races come, races go, series come, series go. What do we get out of the series? What do we get out of the races? What's the development pathway? Where's the cohesion? Um, what's the long-term strategy and all of that? And I think there have been some really decent attempts at setting something in motion. Um, Obviously, nothing's really stuck. You know, I think the, the last thing we really had going was the USGP. That was like, that went away the year that I started racing elite. Right. That was a long time ago. That was a long time ago. And I, that's, the, that's the golden, like, reference point. <laughs> that was 10 years ago. Right, right, right. <laughs> or, I, whatever, I feel, or whatever it was. <laughs> I feel like, and, and maybe I'm wrong, and please, like, shred me if, if I'm wrong. Maybe I'll form this in a question instead of an opinion, but 2013, <laughs> yeah. we hosted the world championships in the U.S. And yeah. it, it felt like, okay, this is our uh, a launching pad to international success in cyclocross. Um, we build up, have uh, three world cup, host three world cups in the uh, yeah. past several years. And then host the world championships this year, uh, nine years later. Do you see this year's national world championships as the other end of a bookend mm. or as another step up? Mm -hmm. That's actually a really great question. Um, I, I know how I feel. I hope it's not a bookend. I hope that it's, uh, it's a reminder and a wake-up call that we actually do have a thriving culture here in this sport. Um, but that's the reminder that I hope that everyone sees and that, like, you know, uh, fingers crossed. And um, I think it's a wake-up call in the way that, like, what have we done in those 10 years um, to develop athletes? Where, where does our if – we, if we use this as a development timeline, have we gone forward or backwards? Where are we in that? Is the depth of our fields better or worse? Are the results individually better or worse? Is our race infrastructure better or worse? We have to take a really big deep dive into that. And again, I think it's very, very easy to drill down on individual athletes and say like, well, why aren't they doing better? Well, this is our great white hope. You know, these are the things that we're really looking for. Like, oh my God, this person is going to save us. And it's not sustainable in any way, shape, or form. We have to build a network that both brings, race, brings races to the table, that brings racers to the table, that develops the racers, that we have athletes to choose from, and we have somewhere for them to go. You know, I, I'd love to see a pipeline, and I think that this is, I'm, I'm echoing a hundred people in our, our industry, of, you know, probably a thousand or 2000, probably or everybody. Yeah. We'll check Twitter after this, but, um, and I know, I know, I know what's going to happen after this is released. I'm going to get a whole lot of like, well, we tried that. Uh, we did that and this didn't work in for sure. 
But, you know, doing things in a vacuum is never going to work. And doing things without cooperation across the board is never going to work. I'm, I'm a full believer in that. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Long-winded, but I, I think our, our, I hope that everyone takes a look at that as a worlds to worlds, as a slice of time and uses it to really get a feel for where we're at and where we actually want to go. And again, it comes right back to like, what do we want? How do we fund it? You know, we did a, a mud fund. So a lot of the, so there's a certain amount of funding that comes from, um, you know, from, um, from USA cycling in forms of like uh, revenue from race entries and from um, uh, licensing and stuff like that. Right. That's, we know that USA cycling works like that. A lot of the funding and a lot of the ability of the program to perform comes from the mud fund, which is all donation. So Somebody write a twenty-five dollar check. Yep. Twenty-five dollar check, a ten dollar check, a five thousand dollar check, a twenty thousand dollar check. Right. Yep. And we did a fundraiser uh, that we basically had a match of forty thousand uh, dollars of up to forty thousand dollars, and so that was our chance to make eighty thousand dollars. Well, I think the fundraiser was a big success. Um, we got close. We didn't match it. Awesome. We didn't match it fully. And that was our that was our chance to kind of match everything at 100%. And um, in one way, it, it's, that was during the World Championships in the United States where everybody is there. You should have heard. I mean, you did. I mean, if, for anybody that wasn't there, the amount of support there on the ground is unbelievable. I mean, just the the wall of noise everywhere. Goosebumpy, goosebumpy. It was incredible. Now, if every one of those people put in ten bucks or twenty bucks in the program, you know, it's it's a put your money where your mouth is kind of scenario. You know, this isn't the NFL. We don't have huge corporate sponsorships, and we don't have a big league sponsorship, and that's a really big shift from the kind of uh, sports culture that we're used to. Uh, MLB, NFL, any one of these big, uh, you know, uh, franchises. It's all TV money. That's all, all TV, money. TV yeah. money. And we don't have that. And that's okay. We don't necessarily, I know that we're working really hard to find that, but like it's a, it's a chicken or the egg scenario. And we keep kind of pushing this like, and I'm, I'm a proponent of this. Like, yes, the races need to be seen um, in order to have any impact on anybody, right? That's, that's a reality. I mean, that's why. That's yep. why Cyclocross Magazine exists. That's why everything, you know, that's why all the media around this exists. Right. Um, but we also have to have uh, interesting races, and we have to have um, uh, a national interest beyond our immediate um, domestic scene. You know, I think in order for us to grow, look at all the most exciting times in our, you know, just anecdotally, and the most exciting times, I think, in our uh our kind of industry here is when we have a rider that can crack into the top 10 at, on a world stage, right. Um, at a world cup or world championships or something like that. Right. But just the, the collective sigh that happens when it doesn't happen, you know, it's just like, it's all in or all out. From that. And so I don't really know where I'm going with this, but I just think the big thing is that like, we just have to figure out what we want and we have to figure out how to fund it. That's, I don't know. Where's that going? That's it in a nutshell. I mean, it, it is. It is. <laughs> Hashtag yeah. news we all knew. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, seriously. 
Yeah. But you know, it's it's a thing where like, hey, if we want this to be, if you want this to be a grassroots feel, um, if you still want to maintain the the ideology that like we have uh, a very approachable, accessible sport, um, then you got to be part of that. You know, everyone listening uh, or reading this uh, can be a part of it in a really simple way. You know, I'm sure you've wasted twenty dollars on something that <laughs> on a weekly basis. You know. Right. 20 bucks or a hundred bucks or whatever isn't wasted on these athletes. Um, in fact, I think that it, it's one of the better investments we could do in, in terms of sport um, or in terms of entertainment. Um, you're both giving, you're giving incredible experiences to athletes. You're helping people grow up. You're helping, you know, we got to think like all these athletes are kids, myself included, but um it's the the better the the real experience out of all of this results or you know results good or bad is that these athletes all walk away from here as a more well-rounded and capable human being and a person that is able to use what they've learned um and use these experiences to better their life in in the future and we can always talk about programs that like put kids that, you know, maintain that uh, athletes are in school and get degrees and all of these things. But like, we have to also surround them with people that empower these athletes um, to create the environment that they want to help, to help facilitate that environment that they want. And from that, they're able to bring that outside of the tent and they're able to bring it into their normal world. And these are skills that, like, you know, they're on-the-job skills that they're going to take with them wherever they go. And if we can instill um, self-worth and leadership in these riders, even the adults, you know, even guys <laughs> like myself, uh, uh, it's, it's just such a, a huge thing. And so, again, it takes, it takes funding to be able to hire people to put them, uh, to keep them around and to make sure that they're... Uh, engaged in their job enough to make that happen i, I don't know you know it's i mean really that that yeah. that is that is it it's having a, a nucleus around which uh we all orbit um mm -hmm. we the entire kind of cyclocross scene um and uh that nucleus is fueled by dollar bills you know yeah being able to hire people like you on a full-time basis or and or Timmy, who has a wealth of knowledge, sure. or Paige, who has a wealth of knowledge, sure. or Katie Keogh, who has a wealth, you know, being yeah. able to put people in the roles that, that uh, Maddie Monroe can, can uh -huh. glom onto. And it's as simple as like, okay, when you go to Belgium, like, you know where you're going to stay, like, here's some good routes to ride, yeah. here's where you can go buy groceries that are American-like, here's where you can go to a restaurant that's like, Rather than just like get off an airplane and not know, you know? Yeah. And it's, it's about creating that like, you know, you create this kind of seamless transition of, you know, people can handle adversity a whole lot more when they have somebody there to kind of have their back. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, yep. These are athletes that do incredible things on a daily basis. Their ability to overcome adversity on an hour to hour basis is uh 
it's step up legends and if you really drill down on it i mean just the ability to get out in the weather they have to get out at you know we're not going to like i don't know south of france we're, going to, south of, we're not going to nice you know right we're in like michigan in december right um right. stuff like that you know in new england i mean how many athletes did i talk to coming into this that were like hey there's three feet of snow outside i don't know what to do it's two weeks out from the world oh god okay well we didn't plan this out very well you know even if we did were you able to afford to go to california or go south or do something to like be able to train for this i don't know and can we create that environment here and then is it seamless enough to go over to europe where everyone shows up and is like okay guys we're a team here we operate as a team here are our resources this is what we do together and we're shifting our plan from what works in the u.s to what we need to do here in europe um it's not a surprise it's not like new to me it's something i practice at home now i have everybody around me and we can make this a really productive trip the I think Europe is a really particular example of like going over for the experience is cool. I think that the experience doesn't necessarily need to be self-led. And I think that, that we have a lot of experience and kind of institutional knowledge that doesn't necessarily get solidified and um, implemented in any real way. Um, and that's just, that's, that's just by virtue of not, having um the same people around all the time yeah you know right we lose i think our this whole conversation started with the loss of institutional knowledge by the best athletes we've ever had yep and it's not easy to fix um and i say lost because but i don't necessarily 100 percent mean that because some of the some of these the people that we mentioned there are still doing things you know um like katie keogh for example is, is involved with legion and she's Tell you what she's doing a lot of logistics and stuff for them and if there's anybody i've ever met that is really good at logistics so she you know so there are the athletes that want to stay in it are trying their hardest to do it and still maintain some normalcy in life um but again you know you spend your whole career fighting uh the the fighting to actually stay in the support in the sport then when you kind of have the opportunity to break out of it and build your own life it's a lot easier to just go that direction <laughs> yeah for sure i mean yeah it definitely is and you've got a, a wealth of experience that would be attractive to any potential employer outside of the world of cycling or even inside the world of cycling yeah. but in the industry yeah and it's i mean it's that is a thing i mean god when i you know when i kind of announced my retirement formally the amount of connections and, and offers for connecting up for jobs within the industry were huge and a lot of it came from like oh man we'd really love to work with somebody like yourself you know somebody that knows the industry somebody that has experience and all of this stuff yada yada all that stuff is great but also like i don't have any experience in those kinds of jobs period right you know I've I worked riding my bike. I, I worked retail in a bike shop for a while. You know, right. like I, I taught people how to work on their bikes. And I, you know, and beyond that, I don't know. I worked in a sandwich shop in, in high school. That was cool. Um, so, and I, I think that across the board, you have athletes that have kind of gone through school that have done it simultaneously. 
but they still don't have real world working experience. And so just the the, the mental uh, transition of going into a normal job that is tied to a computer, tied to a space, uh, is really difficult for a lot of people. Whether they're qualified or not, just that transition is really, really difficult for a lot of athletes. I know athletes that I've looked up to for years and years and thought like, man, these people have really have it together. And I'm just watching them struggle. Mm. It's so hard to not, to see them not feel like they have purpose anymore. Um, I you can know? see that. And I think that's hard from a general public standpoint of like coming at it. It's like, well, yeah, I have a normal job. Like, why can't you do it? Well, you know, it's like the, uh, I don't know if this term is good for this or not, but like the golden handcuffs of like, you know, you, when you're an athlete or you're an aspiring athlete, you get told from a million different directions of like what other people would do if they, they had your opportunity or man, you're living my dream. Or, oh, right. why aren't you doing better because of this thing? And because I have to work this nine to five job, you get to do this. And then you're like, oh yeah, that's great. And then you flip that and they're like, oh, Oh, this is as hard as it is for everybody else. <laughs> Except for that, I, I've been so focused on myself and developing this athletic drive. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyways, yeah. It's, it's a tough world to transition. It is a tough world. Well, uh, I'll be curious. Hopefully, Fayetteville is another step up yeah. in the development of really the cycling culture, not just cyclocross culture. In, in the u.s and uh and not a bookend um and uh i don't know we should revisit in a year five years yeah. ten years and have a look back at, at our discussion today and see uh see what happened with it all i you know I, part of it is just curiosity like where are we headed and and uh what roles do we all play in where we are headed Probably a collective yet individual choice, right? Uh, absolutely, absolutely. It's a network of choices, and yeah, I look forward to our uh, yearly cyclocross anthropological. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just put these in a time capsule and dig them up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, they were right. Oh no, they were yeah. wrong. Who knows? Who knows? Thanks so much for listening to Bike Talk with Dave. If you dig it, please subscribe, pass this on to your friends, and if you'd be so kind as to hit the number of stars you think we deserve, that would be awesome. I've got a ton of talks in the can, so I hope you continue to tune in. And if you have any ideas of someone you'd like to hear from, message me on Instagram at dmabel122. I hope you have a great week. Peace.